Paul says in Second Corinthians 2 at the end of the chapter, he's, after talking about the ministry of the ministry that we have, it's for those who are alive, it's an aroma of life, but to those who are perishing, it's a, an aroma of death. And then Paul cries out, and who is sufficient for these things? And really, that's my cry. I just think, who is sufficient to stand and preach God's word? Who is sufficient to minister in the church? Who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is nobody. Nobody is worthy. But God is. God is worthy to be served, and he's worthy to be proclaimed, and that's what we want to do. So this morning, we saw the key word in Revelation 4 and 5 is throne. God, is, God sits on a throne, and our future lies in the hands of the one who sits on the throne. And when John was caught up to heaven, and he saw the throne, and he saw that on the throne was the Jasper and the Sardius, he knew it was the Lord Jesus, fully God, but also fully man shedding his blood for us. And then he saw the emerald rainbow around the throne, and he knew this is the high priest. This is the one who offers and bestows grace and who literally attaches man to God through his intercession. And then he saw the thunderings and the lightnings with the 24 elders around the throne, all of that dramatic display of God in chapter 4. And we left off in the morning with the four living creatures not resting day or night, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Take a look with me at Revelation 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, just a reminder in case in a few verses you, you don't remember that the one who sits on the throne lives forever and ever. Whenever the living creatures are giving glory, honor, and thanks to Jesus Christ, which, by the way, verse 8 says, they're doing it day and night, without ceasing. So without ceasing, as they're giving praise, in the same fashion, verse 10, the 24 elders, representative of all the church, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. So what a dramatic display of submission and holy reverence before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We will fall down before him. Worship is also physical. It's sitting and worshiping. It is weeping. It is sometimes you're on the floor. Sometimes you're on your knees. But for the elders up in heaven, there's no... There's no immodesty or anything as they fall down before the Lord. They're off their thrones. They're laying on the ground, whatever surface it is, uh, prostrate before him. Um, They fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him. They give him the honor and the worth that he is worthy of. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text and we continue on into chapter 5, remind us of your rule and reign over all things. Our life is in your hands. We are content. Though the storm rages about us, you are the haven of rest. Though the world despise us, though the world ridicule us, may they, if they mock our message, if they burn our Bibles, we will not give up. We will not follow their path. We will fall down and worship you and you alone. For you alone are worthy of our praise. Thank you, Father, for who you are, for your plan of salvation from eternity past, for including us in that plan as part of the elect, those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior and for the glorious future someday to be ours. Give strength for the present. Give courage for the discouraged. Give strength to the faint-hearted. 
and peace to all. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus, our Ram and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. So the scene is the Lord Jesus seated on the throne, four living creatures not resting day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. We get off of our thrones and we bow down before him. And while we're worshiping him, the Bible says we're casting our crowns. The crowns are those, that, those rewards given to us for faithfulness here on this earth. What you're doing tonight by being here, by participating, by um, encouraging one another, by your very presence, you are accumulating rewards, crowns, Stephanos. And crown upon crown, I pray, will be given to you for your faithful, diligent service to our King all of this lifetime. But when we're casting our crowns, I don't think it's a one-time event. In the text, in the Greek, it's not a one-time. It's we are continually casting our crowns. We almost get the idea that we take the crown off and we toss it at the feet, and then the next person in the line does it, and then there's a big clump of crowns before Jesus. I think that's the wrong perspective. I think the idea of casting our crowns is this. Jesus is light, and in him there is no darkness. First John chapter 1. The, psalm, the psalmist says, God clothes him, himself in light as a garment. So Jesus is light, and he wears light, and he is light. The Bible says in Philippians 3.21 that our lowly bodies, our vile bodies, will someday be conformed to his glorious, bright image. So our resurrection body, I think, is going to have the ability to reflect light. Right now, we don't do that. We are being changed into the image of Christ from the inside out, but we're not reflecting his light and glory. But I want you to know the moon has no light of its own. The moon only, if you saw the moon last night, it was spectacular. The moon only gets its light from the sun, the source. It is simply reflecting the light. So up in heaven, I think our rewards are this. I think our rewards are degrees of light. More faithfulness is more ability to reflect the glory of God. So when we're bowing before him and his glorious light is coming off the throne, it's hitting us and reflecting back to him because anything that's been of any worth comes from Jesus himself. We get no credit. Anything of holy and eternal value, he gets the credit for and, and, and the glory. Anything that is temporal or made of wood, hay, and stubble, I get the credit for. So we are just vessels living the life of Christ in us. Do you get the idea? So I think the believers casting crowns will be like radiant people. Remember Moses' time, you know, when he spent time with Jesus face-to-face in the book of Exodus? He came out of that tabernacle, and his face glowed like the sun, so much so that the nation Israel was surprised by it. When Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, was getting ready to give his life for the gospel— As he saw Jesus standing up, ready to receive him into heaven, the Bible says his face glowed like an angel. I think that's our reward, the ability to reflect the glory of God. And those who are faithful reflect it to a greater degree. And I think your experience in heaven will be even more joyful than those who hardly liked to worship down here or to witness or to encourage one another. So this event is huge as we're casting our crowns, displaying the very glory of God, reflecting from our own bodies before the throne. And we're saying this, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We're giving him worth. That's what worship is all about. We're giving him value, and we're giving him the very greatest value. He is to receive all glory, all honor, 
all power. Why? Because he's the creator. He created everything, and by his will, they exist. There's a purpose for everything created, and it is to give him the glory and honor. And um, his will is that everything reflect his greatness and glory and honor. Moving on into chapter 5. John says this in chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Because now, remember, Jesus Christ is seated with the Father on the throne. It says that in uh, Revelation chapter 3. It says that, uh, verse 21, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. So Jesus sits on the throne with God the Father. Here it is. John looks over now at the throne, and now he sees another one, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, and in his right hand, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So you can almost picture this, a scroll, a piece of parchment, but written on both sides. And it was rolled up, and no doubt, as it was rolled up, here's maybe how I visualize it. This part was written on, and then it was rolled, and then there was a seal. That's seal number one. Then it was rolled up some more, and then another seal, seal number two. And then another part, seal number three. Another part, seal number four. Another part, seal number five, six, seven. So it had seven seals. I don't think it was, maybe, I don't think seven all the way across, but seven throughout the scroll. So you would break one seal, read a little bit, break the next seal, read a little bit, and then you'd be able to get the whole document and and the full force of that document. It could be that way. But Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah's cousin came to him back in the Old Testament and said, Jeremiah, I've got a piece of land that I lost. I had to give it away because I was in debt. Could you go back and buy it for me? And so there was a deed, a scroll that was sealed like this, and on it was written the deed to the family property. And Jeremiah purchased the land, received the deed in his name, and then there were two copies. There was a public copy and a private copy. The private copy was put in an earthen container and buried in the ground, and the public copy was out for all to be displayed, that such and such redeemed the property. That same thing, I think, is what the scroll is all about. I believe that the scroll is the title deed to planet Earth. It is God's future plan for this Earth. And on this, it is how the Lord is going to reclaim that which is properly His. Remember when He created everything, He created it and gave it into the hands of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve would have dominion over all the Earth. They were to rule over the birds and the cattle. They were to rule over all the creeping things and the beasts. They were to rule over, I think, all of creation. But when Adam sinned against God, he lost his deed to planet Earth. He could no longer rule as God's prince or princess. Now, Satan had control of this document. And he was the one that would control and have dominion on this planet. Jesus needs to get it back. And only the one worthy to open the scroll is worthy to take back the planet that fell into Satan's hands. So that's the battle that's raging. The battle raging is over a scroll that gives title deed to this planet. You can picture that as we go on into this chapter, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back. I think it's completely covered, so nothing could be added to it. This document cannot be changed or added. It has everything necessary for reclaiming this planet back into the hands of God. And it was sealed with seven seals, which tells me nobody knows the contents of this scroll. It has been sealed, and nobody will ever know unless the seals can be, can be broken open. In verse 2, 
Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Well, what a declaration. His voice of this loud angel must have penetrated all the heavens, all the galaxies. It must have penetrated all across planet Earth, reverberating over every hill, every mountain, every valley. No matter who is nestled where, they must have heard a voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll? And then even those under the Earth, maybe all of the dead, the departed dead, as it echoed in Hades, who is worthy to open the scroll? And one by one, every name and every person... And every angel and every fallen angel was looked at and not worthy, not worthy, not worthy, not worthy. It doesn't say willing. It doesn't say who's willing to open the scroll. Everybody would be willing to open the scroll. It's like the title deed to earth. Who wouldn't want to do it? But God says it's not those who are willing. It's those who are worthy. Character matters. There's no Mussolini, there's no Hitler, there's no Alexander the Great, there's no Julius Caesar, there is no ruler present or in the past or coming in the future that is worthy. Many would be willing to own the whole earth and have everything for themselves, but there's nobody that is of quality character, nobody of worth. And so the angel cries out, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Verse 3, no one in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So, John says in verse 4, So I wept much. It's a noisy grief. He just wailed. The tears. Why was he wailing over this? Because he knew, if that scroll can't be opened, this planet and mankind is ensnared in the hands of the devil. Corruption, sin, misery, strife, Everything that comes from Satan would remain on this earth. So John lost all hope, knowing that nobody could rescue us from the clutches of of the devil. And so he weeps much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or even to look at it. Verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, so somebody from the church age, we don't know who, but somebody from the church age will get up and walk over to John and say this, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. There was one found worthy, and he's described two ways. First, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Going back to Genesis chapter 49, if you were in the Sunday school class, you'll remember that. In Genesis 49, Judah, the tribe, was considered like a lion. And out of the tribe of Judah would come a king. And this king would bring about a kingdom that was abundant and prosperous and holy, incredible time of peace and rest. And he was identified from that time on as the lion of the king of Judah. I'm sorry, of the tribe of Judah. And so John, John hears the elders say, there is one worthy. And it is, he's identified by an ancient text in the Bible, Genesis 49. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't, doesn't that sound majestic? And then he moves on and he says this. He is also the root of David. He's going to come from David's line. But he's not just going to come from David's line. He is the root of David. And the root is the source of it, isn't it? So not only does he come after David as David's son, but he's before David, which means he's what? Pre-incarnate Christ. So the very phrase root of David means he's the son of David. 
from the tribe of Judah, but he's also the source of David, his eternal God. What I love in Matthew chapter 22 is the Lord talking to the Pharisees. You know how the Pharisees always tried to test the Lord? They tried to trip him up. They'd ask him trick questions, hoping he couldn't find a way out of it. Finally, one day, he turned the tables on them. And in Matthew chapter 21, or 22, Jesus says to the crowd of Pharisees, let me ask you a question. And now they're eager to answer, to show their biblical knowledge. He says, whose son, uh, whose son is the Messiah? And they knew the answer. It is the son of David. Because 2 Samuel 7 says, the son of David will sit on the throne as the Messiah. And the Lord said, that is true. But then why did David say, why did David call the Messiah his Lord, his God? The only way David could call his Messiah God, because the Messiah is going to come after David, is if the Messiah is before David, God himself. So truly, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. Don't listen to the cults. Don't listen to the Mormons. Don't listen to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is full deity. He is the root of David. He is the one who prevailed. Verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood, you would almost think it would say, stood a lion, ready to roar across this planet. But it doesn't say that. It says, stood what? A lamb. But it's not just your average name for lamb. Listen, everybody, this is what you have to catch. The word lamb means a pet. A baby little pet lamb. It is like the most innocent, harmless, weak creature you can imagine. Now, Russia, you know the symbol of Russia? A bear. A ferocious, ravenous bear. What is the emblem of the country of Great Britain? A lion. A lion. It's, on, it's the emblem on their flags and things like that. What's the emblem of the United States? The eagle. All three. Bear, lion, and eagle are ravenous creatures seeking after prey, devouring them. But when it comes to the Lord, who's going to take this whole planet back, he's depicted not as a lion, not as a bear, not as an eagle, but as a pet lamb. This word, this word for lamb is unique. It's only found 30 times in the Bible, 29 times in the book of Revelation. So out of 30 times that the word lamb is used, it's used 29 times in this book, one time in the Gospel of John, where Jesus said to Peter, when he restored Peter, said, Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my little pet lambs. That's what you and I are, little pet lambs. And here, John sees a lamb as though it had been slain. It was, a, it was like a freshly killed lamb. No doubt some fresh blood and fresh wounds that were still visible. Then he says this, having seven horns and seven eyes. Horns being omnipotence, strength. So seven horns would be complete power. And seven eyes, complete omniscient, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the lamb is the lion who is the root of David. And this meek little lamb that died on the cross is the only one worthy and the only one powerful enough to take this back from Satan and to rescue us from his evil plan. So what a, what, a, what a lamb, what a savior. Verse 7, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And you could read Daniel 7 this week to see that in a different view. But Jesus came, took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the, four, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, 
And now he is the center of all attention in heaven, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That incense is going to come up here later. And uh, an angel is going to take the incense and, and throw it down to the earth, and it is going to create havoc over all of the earth. So we'll come back to that later. So Jesus takes the scroll. The church age falls down before the Lord and hears what they sing. Verse 9, we sing a new song. I want you to check your life right now as we bring this text to a close in the next few verses. I think our life should be ordered by these principles. Number one, our lives should be Christ-centered. So the song that we sing, it's a new song. It's different from the creation song of the last chapter. Our song is this, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Christ-centered, you are worthy. I think a lot of the church age is I and me. It's I want this, I need this, it's about me, I, I need to be satisfied, I need to be, it's, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, it's me, I need everything. But really, it's Jesus. It's he is worthy. It's about him. It's about his word. It's about his message. It's about his people. It's about his church. It's about the lost that he came to seek and save. So we need to be Christ-centered. I think you would all agree. You are worthy to take the scroll. I think, secondly, we need to be cross-centered. Not only Christ-centered, but cross-centered. Our song in heaven, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. It's the cross Like Tracy said, every day we look at the cross, we recognize we are not worthy. We don't deserve anything. But he died for us. And our only value comes in the fact that he shed his blood for us. So we're to live lives that are Christ-centered. He is worthy. And cross-centered, for he was slain and has redeemed us, has purchased us by his blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people, and nation. So it's not just any one group of people being saved. People from every descent, every language, every race, every culture. So I would say, not only do we need to be Christ-centered and cross-centered, we need to be evangelistic. We need to be thinking about the lost from every tribe and every nation. And how do we reach them? We're to reach the people right here. This is where God said, I need a light and I need a witness. So we need to support the people in Peru. We need to support people in Spain and all over the world. But listen, if we're not diligent about reaching the people right here, then we don't have our focus right. We're Christ-centered, cross-centered, and we're evangelistic-centered. We're thinking about the good news and giving it to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's our responsibility. So we're Christ-centered, we're cross-centered, we're evangelistic, but also we need to be character. We need to be character-driven. We need to see that our character as kings and priests matter in this world. The unsaved watch us all the time, and they need to see something different in us. They need to see just a different type of character, because we're kings and priests. And ultimately, someday we're going to rule on this earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of the angels was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So myriads upon myriads upon myriads of holy angels 
also joining in this great anthem and song of praise. And here's what they were singing as John was watching. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Everything points back and goes back to Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. Think about that. Every bird every insect, every creeping animal, every fish of the sea, the whales and the sharks and the dolphins and the pretty fish and the not-so-pretty fish, all of them are going to be bounding out of the water, the birds are going to be swarming in the air, and the creatures are going to be running around the earth. All of them are speaking. So do animals speak? I do think someday they're going to. Because here it says, I heard them saying... Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Wow. Again, just a declaration. There's no one greater than Jesus. It's all about him. You remember Philippians chapter 2, quoting from Isaiah, that at the name of Jesus, what's going to happen? Every knee shall bow. Who? who? Of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth that they may give thanks to the Lord and glorify God the Father, right? So every knee will bow. Every creature on earth, every creature under the earth will give praise and glory and worship to the Lord. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. This is absolutely true. The Lamb who sits on the throne forever and ever gets all blessing, honor, glory, and power. And the 24 elders fell down. That's we're going to do that a lot in heaven. Fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. As we begin the next part of the text, the seals on that scroll get opened. And the seventh seal is going to unlock a whole other set of tribulation on the earth until it ends with Jesus coming back to this planet with power and great glory. What's the challenge? The challenge is it's all about Jesus. It is about Him. It's about His glory, His honor, His reputation, It is all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about the church. It's about him and what he did for us, his death and resurrection. So let's make that a priority this week. As we talk to people, it's all about Jesus. As we do our work, you're working to serve Jesus. As we're ministering to one another in the church, we're doing it because this is his body, and he's the head of the church. Praise be to Jesus Christ alone.